Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you are listening to Charlie's Corner, a segment hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. So welcome to our podcast. Today, our guest is Jackie LaRock. She's an executive vice president in RT Specialties Pro Exec Practice Group. Her sole focus is placement of management and professional liability lines for all business sectors on a national and international basis. Before becoming an insurance broker, Jackie was employed by Executive Risk, Chubb, and the Hartford in various legal and executive underwriting roles. And prior to joining the insurance industry, she practiced law in Connecticut. And I should also point out that when I retired from the Hartford and went into the agency side of the business, Jackie was my mentor when it came to management and professional liability. So welcome, Jackie. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate it. So Jackie, what I was looking for to talk about with you today is really uh, a couple of the management and professional liability lines, specifically what's going on in cyber liability, uh, private DNO, and to touch on employment practices a little bit. Let's start with cyber liability. So what's going on in the marketplace there in terms of pricing rate, coverage terms and conditions? and even from a claim standpoint? Um, in the cyber world, there has been a lot of capacity. Um, there are a number of carriers, probably in excess of 100, that currently write cyber liability insurance. So there are many options. The forms obviously differ significantly, um, sometimes from carrier to carrier. As respects to the marketplace now, I'd say we were ex- experiencing one of the more significant changes in the marketplace due to recent exposures and upticks due to the pandemic. So with the pandemic, employees are increasingly at home. Um, They are experiencing additional stresses and distractions. Um, There's decentralized corporate functions. And there's a lot more communication, obviously, by email as people are forced to do instant messaging or emails versus walking over to speak with a colleague. Cyber criminals excel in finding social, individual, and corporate vulnerabilities. And they certainly have done so as well in the current pandemic. Um, In the past, you would have seen social engineering exposures in the news where criminals were fraudulently inducing companies to wire transfer sums of money. However, in 2020, the major exposure in the cyber liability insurance world has been ransomware. And there's no question about that. In the past, there were claims that were demands in the amount of a couple hundred dollars, perhaps a couple thousand dollars. However, in 2020, the black hats have been very, very aggressive in terms of their demands. Um, The demands now are often into seven or eight figures, which is obviously a big change from where they were in the past. In addition to the demands getting higher, there's just a proliferation of ransomware attacks against a wide range of organizations. This includes governmental entities, um, healthcare entities, manufacturing companies. There's a proliferation of attacks has caused the marketplace um, some strain, particularly on those underwriters that write the mid and larger, larger size accounts. You know, when you look at cyber in its infancy, it was more about paying for, you know, the data breach coverage. Somebody lost their data. There was a third-party exposure, third-party liability exposure. There was a first-party exposure to pay for the, the notification expense. Are you seeing a shift from that, what we originally thought as the typical cyber liability coverage, 
to more of the social engineering claims, the ransomware attacks? Is that where it's moved to? Absolutely. Um, unquestionably, there's been an uptick in that, the what I would call e-crime, social engineering, again, ransomware um, attacks. The dollars are bigger in terms of what the carriers are paying out. And the criminals have found that they can do less work and reap bigger rewards by having larger ransomware demands. So when a claim is made now or an incident is noticed regarding ransomware, you still do have the forensics, that forensic cost that needs to be incurred to evaluate what happens, but then there's additional cost of a ransomware negotiator, payment of the uh, the actual ransomware demand if needed by the insured. Um, You also have involvement of counsel looking at whether the potential ransomware uh, perpetrator is on the OFAC list, given the recent pronouncements by the Department of Justice, indicating that if payments are made to entities or individuals on the OFAC list, that there could be um, issues with respect to the federal government issuing fines against uh, insureds. So all of these things have kind of caused the perfect storm in the cyber world. And again, this is particularly in the last three to four months. Other, other changes that are impacting the cyber market are aggregation of risk. So this summer, there was a cloud computing company that had a data breach. And that data breach impacted a significant number of their customers most of whom had their own cyber policies. So you ended up with a domino effect of a number of companies or entities, nonprofits in this case, that were impacted by data breach at the cloud computing company level. So again, that that results in in an uptick in the overall claims because you have so many parties um, that are impacted. Jackie, with that, I mean, particularly with that cloud computing issue that you described, I mean, a couple of things there. Number one, would you say that it, it this really puts the emphasis on having business interruption coverage on your cyber policy when these ransomware attacks happen? And secondly, looking at these contracts that you sign with these cloud computing companies, because I could see where a lot of people are, think they're transferring their cyber risk exposure to the cloud computing company. But when you have that big of a loss, it's still going to come back on that individual entity. Yeah, very well taken points, Charlie. Business interruption is more important than it has been in the past, because the reality is that when ransomware strikes, a company often has to shut down their systems or keep them open, but not use them for a period of time. And that time could be a week or two weeks. So there's no question that business interruption loss has been more important in recent times due to insurers due to the ransomware exposure. As respects the uh, reliance on the uh, cloud computing company, um, I have always told insurers they should have their own cyber policy, even if they are relying on a cloud provider. The data belongs to the entity that is placing the data in the cloud. So though the cloud provider is providing a place to store it, to access it, the data still belongs to the entity that put it there, and the obligations to notice people impacted, specifically consumers impacted by a data breach, rests with the client, if you will. So it's important for entities to understand that, but you can't really pass off your cyber liability. Obviously, there's a chance, an opportunity to subrogate as to the cloud computing company, but then you also have the issue, as you said, of limits. What is the appropriate number? What is the appropriate limit? So you end up with an aggregation of risk that may not be addressed by the program maintained by the cloud computing company. What do you suggest for companies 
from an action standpoint that they feel like they've transferred this risk, not only the risk, but also the, the data storage to a cloud computing company where it's much more or supposedly much more secure. Is it that they have a second backup somewhere else in addition to the the storage with the cloud computing company? I think a backup is probably a good idea, but I would actually defer on that question to the IT um, professionals that, that support these various entities because I think they're probably in a better position to respond to that. And what are the carriers doing? Uh, you know, I know the they've gotten much more extensive when they're looking at the cyber liability controls on big companies. What are they looking for typically in terms of data storage? Or do they prefer the private server or do they prefer the cloud computing or, or cloud storage or no preference? They can, they can go either way. I have not seen in the places I've done a marked preference for one or the other um, by insurers. So initially when there was a big increase in companies putting their data in clouds, um, I had some concerns about what underwriters were going to expect, and it hasn't been an issue thus far. But again, I do think you end up with this aggregation of loss when you do have a breach that occurs at a cloud provider, as we've seen in the recent past. So with all all this uptick in in claims and breaches and ransomware attacks, what is that doing to the marketplace in terms of uh rate increases and changes in terms and condition? With respect to smaller accounts, it hasn't had a significant impact yet. With respect to medium and larger size accounts or those accounts that have a lot of data or those entities that, for example, are in the public space, municipalities, state agencies, et cetera, there's been um, a marked change in underwriter appetite and terms. And I'd say in the last, probably the last month to two months, We've experienced what I refer to as the ground, the ground moving beneath our feet um, as brokers, because we will be in the midst of working on a placement and in the midst of working on that placement or that renewal, we're getting feedback from underwriters saying uh, our terms are changing or hold on. We might, might not be able to entertain this risk anymore. Or by the way, our retention is going to be doubling from what we initially had indicated to you a week or so ago. That's the challenge for, again, mid-sized larger accounts with have, with have some complexity because underwriters may be in, at the point of either modifying their appetite, radically changing terms, looking at increases in premium, increases in retention. Um, those are the, the changes that we are seeing, again, mostly over the last uh, month or so. And, and what do you say to those, to those small clients that currently have some basic cyber coverage in their bot policy. You know, that's notification expense, third-party liability expense. I would think they really need to go out and buy a, a full-fledged cyber policy to get the protection, to get that business interruption protection and the ransomware protection, you know, that you're talking about from a, a loss standpoint that's being so impactful. No question about that. Um, some of the add-ons to BOPS or even add-ons to um, errors and emissions policies just provide coverage for liability. And unfortunately, some insurers look at their policy, they see an endorsement, it says cyber liability at the top, and they don't read any further or they don't feel comfortable reading further to understand the details. So there's no question that entities of all sizes and all industry segments should be looking at cyber liability insurance that includes first-party coverage, meaning the cost out-of-pocket costs that are paid when an incident occurs, liability coverage, 
for those uh, potential lawsuits or investigations brought by regulators. And certainly business interruption and coverage for social engineering and ransomware are absolutely critical. The, the whole point of cyber liability insurance, as I explained to insurers that I speak with, is to have a group or people of experts that are there to help you because very often you become aware of a ransomware attack or a data breach on, on Friday at five o'clock or Thursday at 1 a.m. They never occur at the most rational or reasonable time. It's typically an inconvenient time when there's word that computers have been locked down to a ransomware attack. And as one insurer told me recently, if I had to go and start calling and deciding what law firm to hire and what forensics firm to hire, et cetera, at that time of crisis, it would have been much more difficult than making a phone call to um, an insurer of cyber liability and having a team of people available to help them through that process. One more question on the cyber piece, Jackie. Um, on a lot of the cyber policies today, you can include social engineering, you can include wire transfer fraud and computer fraud. In your opinion, is the coverage on the cyber policies for those three elements equal to what you would buy in a crime policy? Or is the crime policy still the preferred method to, to cover those exposures? There is a difference between the coverage that's provided under crime policies and coverage provided under cyber liability policies as respects social engineering claims. So, for example, um, there may be a requirement under a crime policy that requires a secondary means of authentication, or there may be there may be a requirement for secondary authentication under a cyber liability policy as well. So due to the fact that there may be slight differences in how coverage is triggered or even excluded under one or the other policy, meaning crime or cyber, we do recommend both. The other factor to be taken into account is the fact that most um, cyber insurance policies are not able to offer more than $250,000 worth of limits for social engineering coverage so it's necessary to stack multiple layers to get to desired limit. Those carriers that are able to offer full limits, in other words, example, a million dollars for social engineering coverage, um, are typically having a restriction on it, which says that if there wasn't an out-of-band with authentication attempt, then there's no coverage. So if someone forgot to make a phone call to verify that the email was not fraudulent, then there's no coverage. And that kind of removes the whole purpose of the coverage in the first place. Thank you, Jackie. Join us next time for our conversation on DNO. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.